Hi, my name is Pam. The Old Testament reading is found in Genesis 1, verses 27 to 28, and chapter 2, verses 18 to 22. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fertile and multiply, fill the earth and master it. Take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and everything crawling on the ground. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the human is alone. I will make him a helper that is perfect for him. So the Lord God formed from the fertile land all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky and brought them to the human to see what he would name them. The human gave each living being its name. The human named all the livestock, all the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But a helper perfect for him was nowhere to be found. So the Lord God put the human into a deep and heavy sleep and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh over it. With the rib taken from the human, the Lord God fashioned a woman and brought her to the human being. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Casey. The New Testament reading is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 and 26, and verses 32 through 35. I don't have a command from the Lord about people who have never been married, but I'll give you my opinion as someone you can trust because of the Lord's mercy. So I think this advice is good because of the present crisis. Stay as you are. I want you to be free from concerns. A man who isn't married is concerned about the Lord's concerns, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the world's concerns, how he can please his wife. His attention is divided. A woman who isn't married or who is a virgin is concerned about the Lord's concerns so that she can be dedicated to God in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the world's concerns, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own advantage. It's not to restrict you, but rather to promote effective and consistent service to the Lord without distraction. The word of the Lord. My name is Mark. I'll be reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 23, 23 through 30. The same day, the Sadducees, who denied that there was a resurrection, came to Jesus. They asked, teacher, Moses said, if a man who does not have children dies, his brother must marry his wife and produce children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married, then died. Because he had no children, he left his widow to his brothers. The same thing happened when the second brother and the third brother, and in fact, all the seven brothers, finally the woman died. At the resurrection, which of the seven brothers would be her husband? They were all married to her. Jesus responded, you are wrong because you do not know the scripture or the power of God. At the resurrection, people won't marry, nor will they be given in marriage. Instead, they will be likened to angels from God. 
Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your invitation from Jesus to come and follow him into a new way of life. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that enables us to say yes and to follow him. And we pray that today, as we're gathered together here as your people, that we would continue to hear you speak to us, inviting us into your life and your ways, that we continue to experience your Holy Spirit empowering us, helping us, to live out of this invitation that you've given to us. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. It's great to see you this morning. If you're visiting this morning, we welcome you here. Good to see you. If you're watching online, nice to have you with us digitally. Hope to have you with us physically at some point. Uh, my name is Jason Jackson. I'm the associate pastor here at New Life Downtown. And today is our sixth week in our summer series, which is a series that we've called Whole Life, a series on integrated spirituality. And what we mean by that is that we deeply, deeply believe that the gospel of Jesus does not simply affect our spiritual lives, but the gospel of Jesus actually invades and impacts every aspect of our life. That as followers of Jesus, we bring every area of our life under his reign and his rule and learn what it means to live as his people in those places. And so the last couple of weeks, uh, we talked about work for a few weeks, what it means for us to work as the people of God. Then last week, we started kind of looking at what does it mean for us to relate to one another as the people of God. And last week in particular, Pastor Glenn shared with us about marriage, about how do we as Christians think particularly about marriage. And if you missed it, I encourage you to take a look at the podcast. It was a fantastic message talking about what we believe about marriage and how that impacts then how we approach uh, our married lives. Today, I'm going to attempt to do the same thing around the conversation of singleness. And what does it mean? There we go. Yes. Uh, how do we as Christians think theologically about singleness? What do we really think the gospel has to say uh, about living life as a single person? Now, I want to acknowledge as we start that I have um, some numerous limitations coming into this conversation. First of all, I'm married. Um, so that does not make me the, maybe the best person to even have this conversation. I got married at 26, been married at about, for about 15 years. In addition to that, when I was single, uh, I was actually really insecure. Uh, just as a person, really uncomfortable with my own singleness and made a lot of mistakes and I have a lot of regrets around that time period. So even, you know, trying to like pull back on that and say, well, here's all the things that I learned. A lot of that is learning by, you know, tripping. <laughs> Not the best ways of learning all of the time. Uh, but as a pastor, I recognize that for the first time in American history, we actually have more single adults than we have married adults. There's 51% of American adults are single. Uh, so there's, that's risen from 22% in the 50s to over 50% now. There's a growing number of singles for a variety of reasons. And as a pastor, I've said, I need to know what it means to uh, kind of think theologically about these things. So I've spent time reading and thinking and uh, really spent a lot of time with a number of you of singles in our congregation, just listening and learning and saying, hey, help me uh, to understand kind of what life is like and what things are important. And so I am deeply, deeply indebted 
uh, to all of those who've helped kind of shape this particular sermon. In addition, I know that whenever anybody who's connected to the church says, we're going to talk about singleness, that there is a lot of hurt and disappointment that rises to the surface. Uh, that there is a number of things that are already kind of present in the room, uh, a number of really painful things. On one hand, there has been times where the church has just been silent on this conversation, where we just have little or nothing to say uh, about singleness. And so we leave singles out of our illustrations and we don't do a good job of incorporating singles into leadership in churches. And we've, by our own sort of uh, silence, we've communicated certain things just by saying, yeah. And what we've communicated particularly is that marriage is a better way uh, just by our own silence. In addition, when we have spoken, uh, things that we've said have been less than helpful. There's been things that have been said that have even been hurtful. There have been times that we have talked about singleness simply as sort of like um, a waiting room, some sort of purgatory uh, that you just have to endure. And once you are righteous enough, then the Lord will reward you with a spouse which communicates that there's something sort of broken or wrong with all singles that is not broken or wrong with all married people. As if like married people suddenly have everything all figured out and that's why well, they were really married. They were just, they reached this pinnacle and then, no, that's not the case by any means. And it communicates that singleness is a problem to be solved and singles are people to be fixed. Right? It communicates something that's actually so far from the heartbeat of God uh, that we miss out on what it means for us to actually talk about this in much better ways. It communicates almost like a second-class Christian or second-hand status in the church. In addition, when we have tried to talk about this, we've failed to recognize the diversity of singles. We sort of assume when we have conversations about singleness that everyone is young, never married, and really wants to get married as soon as possible. That's what we assume, like this is how to approach the conversation. And yet, there is a growing number of singles who are over 30 in their 40s and their 50s and their 60s and their 70s. There are people who are experiencing secondary singleness. So maybe they did get married, but then through uh, either a tragic death of a spouse or maybe through a painful divorce, find themselves single again. Some of them have children and they find themselves as a single person who is raising two or three or four or five kids and the unique challenges that come along with that, that that is a different kind of life and vocation at this point in time than maybe when they were single the first time. In addition, we feel to recognize that there are people that are actually voluntarily choosing singleness, that they're saying, hey, I want to be single either because of a particular career calling that they feel like I want to be single for a season so I can give myself fully to this. I feel like this is what I'm called to do. There are others that feel because of the gospel, because of the call on their life, they feel like, no, I'm going to be single as an act of worship to God and as a way to live out this calling. There are a growing number of people who are experiencing enduring same-sex attraction and want to be faithful to Jesus and to the church. And so they are choosing lifelong celibacy as a way of sort of saying, I want to offer my life as worship to God. And this seems to be the path that God has taken me on. 
And there are others who are single, and it's just really complicated because maybe they've experienced abuse or trauma in their childhood or in college, and something is going on that makes even thinking about dating, thinking about marriage or relationship just incredibly painful because of the pain that they have suffered. There's no sort of blanket that we can place over singleness. It's incredibly diverse. And then at times, we've not only said things that are not helpful, we've said things that are just downright hurtful. After I had a conversation with uh, a young woman in our congregation after I did a talk on singleness in a Sunday school class a couple years ago, and she said she was in a context at one point where a Christian leader had told her and the other singles in the room that every single represented a threat to every marriage in the room. That these are the kinds of things that have been said to our single brothers and sisters in Christ things that cause deep and lingering pain. And I wanna start this morning by saying, if that's you, if you've experienced those kinds of things, I am terribly sorry. I am sorry that the church, that leaders in the church have failed to communicate and talk and relate and discuss singleness with you in a way that actually reflects the grace and truth of Jesus. And I pray. And my, my deep prayer today is that we'll start a conversation that will move maybe to better, better places. And I hope that I don't contribute to any of those things as you've gone through. Because the truth is any of those sort of discussions around singleness are a far cry from the church's uh, history around this topic. Actually, the church's history in many places and throughout many seasons has actually had a very different view of singleness than what we often talk about in the church. For the church history throughout our time, we've actually seen marriage and singleness for most of our history as equal, albeit different vocations or callings. Equal, albeit different vocations of callings. Uh, we use the word vocation there intentionally because these are not identities. We are not married or single. We are the daughters and the sons of Jesus. That's our identity, that we are God's people. And these are our vocations, the place that we live out that identity in, either in marriage or singleness. And so their vocation, they're a way of life, a way of which we follow Jesus in discipleship. And again, they're not even our primary vocation. Our primary vocation is to him, is to follow him. And this happens to be a context that we do that in. So the church has seen them as equal but different. And they've both been sort of uh, guided or governed by a very particular and very peculiar ethic, a very peculiar way of living life in that space. For Christians who are married, it's a life of fidelity, of saying a, of total commitment of oneself to their spouse which as Glenn talked about last week, would have been pretty countercultural in the first century when people were having all sorts of sexual relationships outside of marriage. And the church comes in and says, no, 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 no. We're guided in marriage by fidelity. This is what marriage is gonna look like. And at the same time, when we talked about singleness, we've talked about celibacy, that the governing sort of ethic is abstinence of refraining from sexual activity. Both of them are actually grounded in the self-sacrificial love of God. 
But we say that the most important thing is us following Jesus in the way of the cross and learning how to give of ourselves, not looking to just satisfy ourselves, but how do we give ourselves? So in marriage, giving ourselves to one particular person as a sign of Christ's relationship with the church, and in singleness, giving ourselves to Christ and to his church as another important way of life. So both of them are self-sacrificial and both of them are countercultural and growing more so even today. In addition, if we look at the history of the church, some of our most prominent leaders were single. Jesus. Paul, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, we can go on and on in recent years, people like Henry Nouwen and Mother Teresa people who've deeply impacted the world and deeply impacted the church and deeply shape our thinking are people who have followed God in singleness and in celibacy. And in fact, even the New Testament itself encourages singleness. At one point, Paul even claims that it's better. A very different message sometimes than what gets communicated by us today. So I want to explore today some reasons why the New Testament makes that claim. Why would the New Testament even say that? And then along the way, share some practical ideas for both singles and married people in the room to say, okay, how do we live into this together as brothers and sisters in Christ? And so the first thing I want to share is that according to the New Testament, singleness is a gift from God. Singleness is a gift from God. Paul, in his conversation with the Corinthians in his first letter to them, he says that there are two gifts. There are marriage, there's marriage and there's singleness. There's no third gift. There's marriage and there's singleness. There's not a third sort of option here. And at one point he says in this conversation, he says, I wish that all were as I myself am. I wish all were single, but each has a particular gift from God. One having one kind and another having another kind. And he goes on in this conversation and he's discussing things and he says, okay, so what does this mean if you're married? He says, stay married. Unless, as we know in his letter and other places, we have grounds for divorce and abuse and adultery and abandonment and those things that the church has said, at this point, this marriage is no longer a marriage because of what has happened. And then he says to the singles, he says, hey, stay single unless, he particularly notes out here, you're burning with a kind of sexual desire that will lead you into sin. He says, no, 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 it'd be better to get married in the middle of that. And so he's going on and he's having this conversation and he calls it a gift, which I would think, I realize is quite problematic. Because for many of us who are single, it's like, yeah, gift is not the word I would use. All right? It doesn't feel like a gift. It's not a gift that we wanted. It's not on our Amazon wish list. We didn't, you know, like say, hey, this is what, I didn't pray for this. I didn't ask for this. I don't want it. Can I then, you know, be engaged in some sort of like Christmas, like gift stealing kind of thing? And here, there's this gift, steal it. I want to take this one over here. Right? It's incredibly problematic. It reminds me just in a very, very faint way of when I was 10 years old and got my first cassette tape player, my first Walkman. Yes. I was so excited and I couldn't wait to get cassette tapes for Christmas. And I got a package and I shook it and you could tell it was cassette tapes. And I was like, oh, I really hope it's like Van Halen or Bon Jovi or Poison or like this is the music I was listening to. And I open it up and it's New Kids on the Block. No! 
this is not what I want my song to be. Like, there's times that we can feel that way, right? It's like, I don't want this to be my song. I don't want this to be the soundtrack of my life. I don't, this is not the gift that I wanted. But Paul uses this language, so what do we do with that? I think we can recognize that both marriage and singleness carry with them particular yeses and particular noes. And so there are noes within the single life. And it's okay to be honest about those challenges. It's okay to name them, to talk about the struggle, to say how hard it is, to bring those things to God in lament, to mourn them. To, to be in that space and say, God, I don't want this, okay? It's, it's okay to be in that space. But God also wants us to sort of embrace the opportunities, whatever they may be, and to sort of hold that strange tension between mourning and celebrating that actually exists inside of us, and to be grateful for those things while lament, lamenting the others, which is a really kind of strange practice to figure out how do we hold those together. But one thing that I think can be helpful is that when Paul is talking about spiritual gifts, one of the things that comes up for him in the middle of these conversations is that the gifts are not actually for us. They might have benefits for us, but the gifts that God gives us are actually not for us. They're actually for others. So there's something about the gift of singleness that's actually meant to serve others in the church. That in some way, part of the gift is connected to the fact that singleness is meant to serve as a sign that actually points to something, that it's actually something that exists not just for us, but actually for others. And that's the way that the scriptures also sort of like, at least theologically, the way that historians and theologians have talked about it is that singleness is not only a gift from God, singleness is actually a sign. It points to something else. I think we joked a couple of weeks ago about the signs pointing to wall drug. If you've ever driven through South Dakota, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of signs telling you wall drug is coming, wall drug is coming, 13 miles, 12 miles, 11.75 miles. You know, it just keeps going from every direction, building this anticipation, which unfortunately with wall drug, the signs are way better than the place. It's like a total letdown once you get there. But the signs are actually supposed to point to something that's way better. Point to something that's bigger and deeper and truer and more lasting. And singleness serves as a sign to that. First thing it serves as is a sign to our new family. Singleness serves as a sign of our new family. In Genesis, God commands his people to leave father and mother and cling to their husband and wife and the two will become one flesh. Leave father and mother, cling to spouse, and become one flesh. See, in the Old Testament, the primary way of understanding is one identity and community is within the context of family. Nuclear family, extended family, tribe, clan, etc. But in the New Testament, we see this. Jesus calls his followers to leave father and mother and cling to him. And then he says his followers will become one body, one flesh, one family. We see something has changed in the New Testament. Our primary context for identity and community is actually the church. It's a signpost to the fact that we have a new family. And it's this family 
of brothers and sisters in Christ who have no business being in the same room together if it weren't for Jesus, they have to figure out, well, what does that mean for us? How do we live together? Because this community actually has to be cultivated. So with nuclear family, family, you know, community just kind of there. Sometimes there when you don't want them to be there. They're just there all the time. But there's a sense for this family, it has to be cultivated. It's, and it's intentional and it's slow and it's hard. We actually experience in our day and age significant challenges to it. We live in a very isolated world. Despite all of our connections uh, through social media, where we feel very isolated. Loneliness is at an all-time high in the world. Uh, England appointed a minister of loneliness a few years ago to try to address an epidemic of loneliness that we feel this way. We're isolated. In addition, we live very individual lives. This is my thing or my family or mine, 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 mine. We're very much like those little things on, uh, what is that on? Uh, Nemo, yeah, that, uh, like the little, uh, anyway, you guys know what I'm talking about. That wasn't in the script. So we live very individualized. And then even in a sense in an urban environment and a transient environment where people are coming and going all the time. And we live in these places where we work with these people. We live near these people. We go to church with these people. We go to Bible study with these people. And then we have these other people over here and nobody knows each other. There's not even like our communities overlap anymore, which makes it really difficult. So what do we do? How do we, as both married and single people, live into the sense of new family? Well, for the singles in the room, I want to encourage you to commit to a church and to stay when it's hard because community takes time. If you're looking for community to sort of be like gift wrapped, it doesn't come that way. It's hard, it's slow, it's intentional, and requires commitment, requires staying, putting down roots. And the second thing that goes along with that is practicing hospitality saying, how is it that I can actually create community by opening up my home and my life and inviting people in? That may be leading a meal group or co-leading a meal group and saying, hey, I want to open the space that I have to other folks. And may even be saying like, hey, I've met this married couple at church. I'm going to invite them over to my place. And saying, hey, I want to work on being new family together by crossing these kind of normal ways that we segregate ourselves and practicing hospitality across those barriers. Or maybe it's considering living communally and saying, I'm going to live with other followers of Jesus and we're going to intentionally help and encourage one another. We're going to have meals together and we're going to serve together. We're going to say, what does our life look like together as a way of a sign to the fact that there is a new family? And perhaps most critically, I think it's absolutely essential that we develop two or three really deep spiritual friends. One of the sacrifices that's often associated with singleness is intimacy. It's a sense of companionship and knowing and being known. And so we have to try to figure out how do we develop that inside of friendship. It's not just a physical intimacy that we feel like we're missing, but sometimes a relational, emotional, spiritual intimacy. And how do we have friends that will sit in those spaces with us uh, and recognize the need for that? And strangely, in the middle of one of his conversations, Jesus actually calls that the greater love. He says, there's no greater love than someone who will lay down a life for a friend. And we're going to talk about this really in depth next week. My wife, Sarah, is going to preach next week on spiritual friendship. And how do we have that conversation? What does that look like for us? 
If you're married, I think it means practicing hospitality as well. Inviting singles into your life, into your home, into your meals, to your celebrations, into your vacations, into the things that you're doing, saying, hey, you wanna come along with us? Come join us in this. Maybe it looks like hosting a meal group. One of the challenges a lot of our singles face is they wanna host the meal group, but their space isn't big enough. And so maybe you can sort of co-host and co-lead with a single person and bring married and single people together in a meal group and show by our eating that we don't just eat with the people we're related to but we eat with the people that we belong to in Christ and saying this can be a witness, a sign in the world. Maybe even consider living communally. I know a married couple here in town deeply love Jesus and they invite single people to come and live with them and be a part of extended family kind of life. And maybe that's something. I know when I was single, one of the greatest gifts that I ever received was there was a family in the church that I was at who just adopted me. And I was going to their house one, two times a week and just entering into the flow of the house. In order for it to happen that often, for it to be sustainable, it can't be a big production. It was more, you know, come over and on the way to the store, grab some chips because we're out. Kind of like, and I would just enter in and help make the food and clean the food and sweep the floors and play with the kids and watch them. And they would celebrate me and I would get to celebrate them. And it gave me a chance as someone who hadn't seen Christian marriage and hadn't seen what like a godly father and godly husband looks like. It gave me a chance for years just to watch this family. It was an incredible gift to me by just a family practicing hospitality. So witnesses, it's a sign of our new family. Second thing is that singleness is a sign of our new commission. In the book of Genesis, the first commission that's given to humanity is to be fruitful and to multiply. In other words, go and have kids. That's the first commission. Even Israel's covenants contain with them the promise of kids and more kids and more kids after that. There's a sense in the Old Testament that God's family and God's mission expands through procreation. How do you have more people join God's family, join Israel? Well, you have more Israelite babies. This is how God's family and God's mission grows. But interestingly, when we get to the New Testament, the end of the book of the Matthew, Jesus gathers his disciples together and he gives them the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is not go and have babies. It's go and make disciples. Go into all the world, proclaim this good news and make disciples of Jesus. See, in the New Testament, God's family and God's mission don't primarily grow through procreation, they grow through proclamation. That this is how the church grows, is by the proclaiming of the gospel. And I think this is primarily why Paul encourages singleness in 1 Corinthians. He doesn't command it. I love that he says, this is what I think is good advice, but it's not, it's not a command from the Lord. I love how he distances himself in the middle of that letter. But Paul and the rest of the early church believed that Jesus was coming back any day. And so the time to evangelize, the time to disciple, the time to be about God's work was short. So they're like, we're going all in on this. This is our commission and we are all in. We know the sacrifices, but we are going for this. And so there were people at that time and now and throughout history who've committed themselves for a season or for their lifetime to say, I'm all in on Christ and his mission. That this is what we're called to. And they serve as a sign for that. 
It's been often said that marriage displays Christ's devotion to the church, and it puts on display how much God loves us. I think singleness displays the church's devotion to Jesus. Hey, we're all in with you. We are all in. Here's what we're going for. Displays that sort of self-sacrificial love in that way. So if you're single today, how do we live in that? I think, first of all, it means in your paid and your unpaid work, give everything you can to further God and God's mission. Like, make that your thing. And whenever you're doing, asking those questions about, how do I do this in such a way that furthers uh, God's mission in the world? In addition, commit yourself to serving. Really seek to be someone that serves in the church, in the city, in the world. And there are so many of you that do that. Our kids ministry, our student ministry, our alpha ministry, Kids Hope, EH, all of the things that we do are so critical. You guys carry so much of that and we're so grateful for the ways in which you serve. Continue on. It's a way of showing our new commission. Serve, but be careful not to overwork or overserve. Because your relationship with Jesus needs time and attention. And your community takes a lot, a lot of time. It takes a lot of time because you're, you're not living in the same place and you're trying to organize, hey, when can you meet? When can I meet? You're coordinating all these kind of schedules. It can be sort of natural for married people to see each other without having to schedule and coordinate all of that. For you, you're having to figure out all that. It takes a lot of time and energy, and even your own self-care takes time. Saying, okay, what are the things that Jesus wants to work on in me? What's he teaching me? What's he healing in me? What's he calling out in me? So work hard and, and serve well, but don't overdo it on any of those things. And then for the folks that are married, I want to encourage you to celebrate the work and other life work accomplishments and other life accomplishments of singles. Like they get a promotion, they get a new job, they graduate college, they finish med school, whatever else, celebrate that. Be the kind of people that throw them parties. And then encourage and appreciate their contributions in the church, in the city, in the world. When you see it, encourage, celebrate it. And then be interested in that aspect of their life and other aspects. I was, when I was, uh, most of the time that I was a youth pastor, I was single. So I was a youth pastor for eight years and for six and a half or seven of those years, I was single. And my least favorite time of the week was after service in the church lobby. I hated it because it was one extended conversation about my dating life. Hey, let me introduce you to someone. Did you call that person whose number I gave you? Why aren't you dating somebody? Have you considered the, the negative ramifications on the student ministry because you're not married? Have you, what about this person? What's wrong? What's going on? It was one thing after another, after another, after another. You know, and I was great with the people who knew me and loved me having those conversations with me. But you know, there was a whole lot more to my life than just being single. There's a whole lot more to my life than just my dating life. In fact, I wish people would say, how's the student ministry going? Or more importantly, how's your relationship with Jesus? How can I pray for you? Who are your friends? Where are you finding community? How's your work going? What ways are you witnessing to God in that place? What are you learning right now? There's so many more things that I think we need to learn how to ask better questions and celebrate those diverse aspects of our single brothers and sisters' lives. Third thing, last thing here, is that singleness is a sign of the new creation. 
signaling this is a sign of the new creation. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we often talk about how the kingdom of God is already present and not yet fully realized. That the kingdom of God came rushing in with Jesus, and yet we're waiting for Jesus to come back before we fully see it in all of its glory. And it's often been said that marriage serves as a sign to the not yet aspects of the kingdom. We're waiting to be fully united with Jesus. We're waiting to know what it's like to be fully and completely in his presence. We are waiting to know what that union, that intimacy looks like. And marriage gives us a glimpse, points ahead to that. Singleness, then on the other hand, actually gives us a sign of the already aspects of the kingdom. That Jesus has come, the Holy Spirit is here, and we can actually begin to live into deep and profound and abiding intimacy and relationship with him. I was having breakfast with a single guy in our congregation this week, and we were just talking about a number of things, and he says, you know, one of the things that I'm learning right now is for what it means for Jesus to be the lover of my soul, what it means to be fully satisfied, fully satiated by the presence of God in my life and learning what it means to abide in him and to experience intimacy and union with him in this place here and now. So it witnesses to that, that possibility for us because of what the Spirit does and also witnesses to the limits of sex. In our culture, when we think about singleness, one of the things that's the primary sacrifice in most people's minds is sex especially if celibacy is what we say is the way of life for single Christians. And see, the, in our culture, we've sort of exclusively identified, uh, associated sex and identity, that you are sex. That's what you are, that these things are, this is really who you are. And so sexual fulfillment and sexual expression is seen as an absolute value. And we're told that through sex, we'll find meaning and significance and purpose and joy and healing and that the things that are going on inside of us and the aches and the pains and the longings and the wishes and the hopes, those will all actually be fulfilled physically through another person. That if we just engage in this, then that all of that would be fulfilled. And then any suggestion that says that we should restrain or refrain from sexual activity is seen in our culture as inhumane or oppressive. That's the way our culture thinks about it. But I want to tell you, we're asking sex to deliver what it was never designed to do. It was never designed to do that. And the only person that can fill us with meaning and significance and joy and peace and heal us is Jesus. Sex can't do that. Only Jesus can. We're asking to provide that. In addition, it fails to recognize that we are way more than sexual beings. That's part of us, but it is not all of us. Furthermore, it is actually possible to be fully human and fully alive and fully significant and fully vibrant and to live a beautiful, wonderful, meaningful, impactful human life and have no sexual fulfillment. Jesus, fully human, fully alive, the best life we've ever seen, an abstinence living a life fully 
devoted. This singleness reminds us that marriage and sex are actually temporary, that these things will one day pass away. Jesus says this in Matthew 22, he says, at the resurrection, people won't marry, nor will they be given in marriage. Instead, they will be like angels from God. There's a lot of things that we could say about that that we don't have time for um, this morning. It's a sense that singleness reminds us that marriage is sometime going to end as we're going to all be united with Jesus. But in order for singleness to be the sign that it was intended to be, celibacy is actually an integral part of that. In the same way that marriage, for marriage to be the sign it's intended to be, fidelity is integral to that. When someone steps outside of their marriage in adultery or pornography or other sort of sexual expressions, something about the sign gets tilted. It's off. It's not fully expressing all that was intended to be. And the same thing in singleness. We find ourselves caught like in the hookup culture or in pornography or in uh, any sort of expressions of sex outside of marriage, then the sign actually is doing what it was intended to do. And the truth is, as followers of Jesus, we need both signs. We need both. The church needs both. The world needs both. We need healthy, thriving marriages, and we need healthy, thriving singles, because both of them witnesses to aspects about who God is that we so desperately need. Both of them witness to something about who we are that we desperately need. And if we are going to be the people of God, carrying on the mission of God in the world, then we have to find a way to honor and celebrate and help both. Amen? So maybe this morning you find yourself saying, okay, this celibacy piece, I'm not there right now. I need some help. I need, as that one song saying this, I want to come out of the darkness and into the fullness of Jesus's love and know what it means for him to fully satisfy me. I want to step away from promiscuity. I want to step away from pornography. I want to move away from those things. And I want to know what it means to live in deep affection and intimacy with Jesus. This morning after the service, we'll have prayer teams that are up here. We've got counselor lists that we can get connected with, mentor lists we can get you connected with. The church is meant to help in the middle of this because we need help. We can't live faithful lives for Jesus on our own. And I had a saying when I was a youth pastor that faith was actually never meant to be done alone. It's not how this is designed. This is not just me and Jesus. This is Jesus and us. It's a family and we need each other's help. And we're reminded not only do we need each other, but we need the Holy Spirit working us. And we come to this table together every week, recognizing that we're a family, that we need each other's help, but you also need the finished work of Jesus and the ongoing work of the Spirit if we are going to live out the vocations and callings that he's called us into. We need him. And so he says, hey, come, come to the fullness of my love. Come. Let me be the one that satisfies your soul.